Hello and welcome to BSD Talk, number 42. It's Thursday, May 11, 2006. In the news, FreeBSD 6.1 is out. And now, the interview. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Carl Leonbauer, and he is the Chief Technology Officer for FlightAware. So thank you very much for coming onto this podcast. And why don't I give you a minute to introduce FlightAware and what it does. FlightAware does live real-time flight tracking. We track commercial and private aircraft, almost all the aircraft in the United States. We get a data feed from the Federal Aviation Administration, and we take that feed and process it in a number of ways, take the data and store it in a database, and make it available through our website, flightaware.com. What uh, makes us unique is that we don't charge for that service. All of the other ones that we know of charge for more than just a little bit of their capabilities. We don't charge. And you can actually, in our database, we have more than 20 million flights that you can pull up the complete flight history of any aircraft or any commercial flight. So one thing a lot of people use it for is just to see, okay, let me look at this JetBlue flight. My friend's coming in on to Los Angeles and oh, look, it's been late almost every day this week, so I can probably count on it being a little late today, things like that. How up-to-date or how um, immediate is your data? Our data is delayed by five minutes from the FAA, and then our processing adds about a one-minute delay total, so about six minutes behind. I see that your website offers little pictures of airplanes and little lines trailing behind them. Do those update real-time, or do you have to refresh to get the updated flight paths? The... People who have registered with us, which that's a free process, get automatic updates. So the thing will sit there and refresh every minute or every two minutes, kind of depending on what you're looking at. If you haven't logged in, then you have to refresh. And, yeah, the, all that mapping is done. We receive the latitude and longitude position of the aircraft and its altitude. And then from that, you know, using open source mapping software, we produce those maps that you see on the website. And I'm assuming that your website supports multiple operating systems and browsers? Yeah, we do a lot of work, of course, to make sure that it works with the main ones, which for us, of course, Internet Explorer, also Firefox and Safari. And part of the reason that I did uh, ask to interview you is that I saw on a uh, press release that you've been using open source technology as the foundation for your website. So I thought it might be nice to discuss that a little bit. So maybe you could give us a basic overview of what's under the hood. Okay, sure. We run exclusively on AMD64 processors in using FreeBSD, the AMD64 version. So we're running full 64-bit. We have a couple of pretty large servers that are database servers that use the PostgreSQL database system. We're, all, we're running FreeBSD 6, pretty much the latest stuff. And then for the map servers, we have quite a few 1U computers that are dual AMD64 and dual core. And those, we can generate a map in about 160 milliseconds of CPU time. So 
we have all those machines and we've written our own software to balance the load and send out the request to the different machines. And we're capable of generating several million maps a day, which uh, comes in really valuable because when there have been a number of incidents like the Nike jet that had the landing gear incident, the Chicago Midway Southwest Airlines runway overrun in December, and then just last week we had a a Continental Express aircraft that blew two tires on takeoff. We'll have these huge load spikes that we get when we get mentioned on CNN and Fox News and places like that, and then that just causes a huge spike. So it's really nice for us that we actually can do that based on FreeBSD and PostgreSQL. We save a lot of money doing that, and we love just the idea of you know, doing that in a horizontal way. So instead of trying to buy some kind of big proprietary multiprocessor system, we have a bunch of systems that are sitting there ready to take requests for maps. And then as the site grows, we can add those pretty inexpensive server-based, server-oriented PC motherboard systems and uh, generate, you know, expand our technology that way. What size databases are you talking about here? Well, the the machines right now, we have about 16 300-gig drives on the database servers, and there's two. So we've got about 5 terabytes spinning. This stuff is all in a uh, RAID 1 plus 0 configuration. Actually, I should just say they're RAID 1 pairs. And so we've got pieces of the database and index and logs and things distributed across different drive pairs. Right now... We're running in the vicinity, I think, of a terabyte of stored data. And are you doing some kind of replication between your Postgres databases? Yeah, we're using the Sloney One replication server, which you can read about on PostgresQL.org. And that's, uh, that's working out real nice for us. It's great in a failure scenario. There is a risk in a, in a pure failure where it's not a shutdown of the primary that you might lose a transaction. But since we're not a bank, you know, we feel like if we lose one flight arrival or something like that, it's not going to be the end of the world for us. I'm sure you had a lot of options for technology when you were working on building this whole site. I didn't know if you could discuss a little bit around what went into the decision process for, one, open source technology, and two, why you chose BSD specifically. Sure. Well, the open source thing was a pretty easy decision for us. When we got started, we had some angel money, very little, and looking at the price of the other SQL servers that you would pay for, like Oracle or Microsoft, then it was you know it would break the bank absolutely. My experience with BSD goes back to the very early 90s, I think around 91 when 386 BSD from Bill and Lynn Jolitz came out, and in that in those days I had a spare I had a 386 with no floating point coprocessor, and I downloaded uh, downloaded 386BSD over a slip link at 9600 baud. Took about 24 hours to get all the files down, and got that loaded onto the machine. And you know, my friends and I were just blown away by the fact that it was possible to run BSD even in those early days. That it would only stay up for a few minutes. But then within a week, a couple of patches would come out, and then it would stay up for 20 minutes. And a couple of weeks later, it could stay up for an hour. One thing that was great the whole time that was going on was the file system was stable, you know, because it's based on the solid 4.4 BSD code. So we never lost files. So I think I would have lost, lost heart if I had lost files. So we built a whole Internet service provider around Berkeley in the 90s. 
sold that in 99 for a nice outcome, a satisfying outcome, not an incredible one, but a satisfying one. Took a couple years off to ride bikes and then got going again in business. So really for us, when we started looking at doing FlightAware, BSD was the obvious choice. We love the performance of it, the solidity, knowing it, of course, was really valuable to us. And we just weren't at all in the mood to have something be unreliable in any way. So, you know, the time-honored and proven technology for us of Berkeley made it the way to go. Do you find a lot of people are confused or they just don't understand what BSD is when you're talking to other people in the technology world? Well, that's a good question. Um, some people do, some some don't. You know, you could tell them, oh, it's like Linux, and then they get it right away. As far as the relative merits of the two, that's uh, that's not something we need to hash over, right? But, uh, you know, we just we found Berkeley to be really strong for a long time, great support for RAID, great reliability, scaling, you know, these machines now. So, you know, when we were starting in 91, I think my machine had four megs of RAM, and as I said, it was a 386.16. Today, our machines AMD 64 dual processor, dual core, with in a couple cases 16 gigs of RAM. To have followed that software through an evolution from four megs to 16 gigs, or like 4,000 times the memory, you know, in the beginning maybe a 40 meg hard drive would be a nice platform to play with BSD on to now having terabytes of this spinning on the machine. It's um, And you know, actually, on my personal machine, I have files going all the way back to before I started with Berkeley, because originally I ran a version of Unix called Microport, and then I ran a Bell Technologies and SCO, and once Berkeley BSD was solid enough, I moved to that and have never looked back. But to actually have on my machine files that still have timestamps from the late 80s and stuff, to have had the, a continuous software environment for all those years based on this solid technology, that has, you know, that just took one concern and one question mark off the plate for us. So as you're adding servers and scaling out, how do you, how is it to manage a large group of servers like that? And how do you plan to deal with your expansion? Yeah, well, it's not bad at all. Daniel Baker, who is a, another guy who works with me on FlightAware, wrote some really great software for managing the map servers. And so we have a table that has a list of all the map servers that are active, and the thing will sit there and distribute the requests out to those things. Uh, if we need to take one down, we take it out of the table, and it stops receiving requests. So we've got it to a point now where if we want to add a new map server, we just load it up. We are sync from one of the other map servers onto it. Now, I should mention, we get about 40 million position updates on aircraft per day, and that, that overwhelms Postgres, you know, to actually be sitting there and trying to do 40 million inserts and even batching them. It just, uh, the performance is not sufficient for us, so we wrote a memory resident database that's customized for the flight track data, and it built into that database is the ability to do these queries to locate aircraft that are in a certain box of latitude and longitude above or below a certain speed, matching a partial tail number or like COA, star for Continental Airlines. That's replicated on all of the map servers. 
So that's how we do the data queries. Anyway, so when, when a map server boots up, it finds another map server that's up that has a clean database. It copies it over. takes it about a minute to copy over the memory resident database, which occupies almost a gigabyte of RAM. And then once it's up, it, turns, it basically turns itself on and begins serving requests. So that's gone pretty well for us. And with just the state of modern machines, they're pretty solid. We insist on using the ECC memory, you know, using motherboards that support ECC and having the memory that's got the extra bits to do ECC. We're doing the RAID 1 with the drives, and I feel like a RAID 1 system is thousands of times more reliable than not having any kind of uh, replication of the drive. And then likewise with the memory, it's probably millions of times more reliable than, you know, when you use memory that isn't isn't uh, ECC. Are you using hardware or software RAID? We're using hardware RAID based on freeware. We did a lot of testing of that. Now, I don't know how what the state of it is now, but when we first began working with kind of the new era of machines three or four years ago, we tested it. And our criteria really was that you should be able to pull, like in a two-drive system, that you should be able to pull either drive and it should stay up. And importantly, you should be able to reboot the machine and have it boot itself all the way back up on either drive. So three years ago, your onboard RAID on the motherboard, as far as I know, we never found one that could reliably boot the second drive. So we tested threeware. We liked it. The performance was good, and then that's what we've gone with. Maybe moving a little bit away from uh, FlightAware, talking a little bit about your use of BSD outside of FlightAware. Are you using BSD on desktops and personal systems? Well, does Mac OS X count? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does, right? Yeah, I... Uh, for years, you know, I ran a laptop, and I would run it partition and dual boot. So if I needed to do Excel or Photoshop or something like that, I would boot up Windows, and then for the rest of the time, I would boot up Berkeley. And, you know, then I could open terminal windows under X windows. I could secure shell out to my servers and do work like that. And, and I kind of lived in that dual-headed mode where it was like, oh, I have to reboot so I can so I can live in my... BSD world, oh, I have to reboot so I can do the stuff I can't do in Berkeley. So three years ago, last November, when the Titanium PowerBooks came out, actually, my daughter had wanted uh, wanted an iMac real bad, and I got her an iMac, and after a few months, she didn't care about it anymore. And then Mac OS X came out, and I just said, hey, I think I'll, think I'll try this out and play with it. So I stuffed the iMac full of memory, and I stuffed it with a, a larger disk, loaded Mac OS X on there, and this was like 10.0, so it was pretty slow. But it's still, there was something about it I really liked. When I got the Titanium PowerBook, then I bought the tools, bought Office, bought Photoshop, bought eventually Final Cut Pro. And so I have all those applications, which are wonderful, uh, then also on the same machine, without rebooting, I can open up a terminal window, I can SSH out, I can compile programs. Also, we, we're pretty into Tickle or TCL, the tool command language, and um, a lot of our stuff is written in that, and then that actually ships with Mac OS X, which I like a lot. And then with the Darwin ports and that tree, I can build most of the same software that I would build out of the ports tree on FreeBSD. In fact, I actually have our product compiled and operating so that I can run it on my laptop, like I'm on an airplane or something. I can actually bring up FlightAware, pieces of FlightAware, and work with it, even that I'm not connected to the Internet. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to discuss today? 
there there are some things I'd like to see happen in Berkeley. A couple things that we will run up against is um, some kind of limit. You know, you'll brush up against in the kernel, like uh, there was a there was a weird kernel limit around shared memory. Not the normal shared memory limits, but something like a uh, some kind of translation table that it was tricky to find out the right size of. So I'd like to see work done on Berkeley in that regard, like that you know, that you not brush up against weird kernel limits and have to Google and find mailing list postings from a year ago and try to sort of sift through and guess what the problem is. And, you know, in some respects, like the the um, some of the other distributions out there, competitors to Berkeley, you know, the install process is really slick. But the as far as like the time honored reliability of Berkeley, I'm really happy. And I really my hats our hats are off to the team of people who have kept the BSD releases cranking. And in particular we're on free BSD, but I also have an enormous amount of respect for Theo and the work he's done with NetBSD and the work on OpenBSD. So uh, I just I want to thank everybody who's involved in that and just how that we've managed, you know, with all the a lot of the mindshare going to Linux and a lot of work from a lot of companies going to Linux, how robust and reliable and strong Berkeley continues to be. And I also have to point to the engineering process that that has come forward. Like there's a lot of testing and there was to my knowledge, there's never been that fishy stuff like in the early days of Linux. There was a thing where if you uh, dismounted your file system, it blew it away. And, you know, the release engineering process is way past letting anything like that slip through. So my hat's off to everyone, and, uh, uh, you know, we hope to continue to use Berkeley and continue to use Postgres and, you know, expand our use of it and find entirely new applications to dig into for a long time to come. Thank you very much for speaking with me today, and good luck with FlightAware. Thank you. All right. Good luck with your show, too. Thank you. All right. If you'd like to leave comments on the website, except for you blog spam people, got my first one today, yeehaw. Um, if you'd like to leave comments on the website, you can reach it at bsdtalk.blogspot.com, or if you'd like to send me email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T. G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and this has been BSD Talk number 42.